Hey, I'm Will. And this is Benj. We're both church planners trying to work out how to form churches in this post-pandemic world. I lead a church that's trying to grow big. And I lead a church that's trying to grow small. But we share an interest in the beautiful and diverse future of the church in Australia. What will it look like? How will it adapt and innovate and thrive? If you're asking these questions too, then join us as we host a range of conversations with diverse thinkers and practitioners around what comes next. Welcome to the Forming Church Podcast, brought to you by Gen 1K and our vision to see a thousand healthy churches in a generation. You might already be having these conversations within your tribe, but we want to form a community that brings divergent thoughts together. My name's Jamie. I was a church planter and now I'm helping others to plant churches as the Gen 1K mission team leader. Instead of this increasing polarization, we want to learn how to explore different perspectives with a commitment to learning from each other. So at the end of every episode, I've gathered some friends for a roundtable conversation to explore how these ideas might play out in your context. Follow us on Instagram and join our Forming Church podcast Facebook group to add your voice to the conversation. Benj, when you were in school, how were you at maths? Uh, not, not too bad. You know, 80, 80%, 85%. Yeah, were yeah. you good at your times tables? Oh, I'm pretty good at using a calculator. Yes. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Well, <laughs> on this episode, we're going to talk about multiplication. Wow. And uh, That's a smooth transition. <laughs> you are a professional. <laughs> thank you. Thank you very much. Um, we have a fantastic guest. We do. This guy. Oh, you got, you got to meet this guy. Surely good at maths. Surely you would hope that he's good at his times tables when his job title is the multiplication facilitator at the Gen 1K mission team. Yeah, you would hope so. Yeah. Or at least he knows how to use a calculator. Yeah. Yeah. He is, he is a good, good man. You, you would have heard him already. He's part of our roundtables at the end of uh, our episodes. But uh, this time we get a chance to just sit down and hear some of his story hear some of uh, his heart, and uh, we talk about all things from uh, coming from Nairobi, Nairobi Chapel in Kenya and his experience there. We talk about leadership development. We talk about his journey to Australia, what he's seeing in the Australian church context and uh, networks and just all that good stuff, multiplication. Mm. And he's one of those people that is in a mix where he's kind of uh, half-time, on the ground, leading a church, doing the leadership development stuff. Uh, he talks a lot about uh, these internship programs and things he's been developing. But then he's also kind of at that, that sort of eagle eyes, you know, big picture, looking at what does it look like for more of our churches to become networks, to multiply. Um, and uh, he just brings a great uh, cross-cultural perspective, kind of seeing some of the things that we maybe would just ignore through fresh eyes having come to Australia from uh, from Kenya. So great chat with Ken and uh, here it is. Here it is. Ken, thank you for joining us on the Forming Church podcast. Good to be here. Uh, for people that don't know anything about you, what does a normal week look like in the life of Ken Kamau? Oh, wow. Okay, with uh, two kids, so... I love waking up early. So, what time are we talking? Uh, five, four thirty-five. Um, it's it's the most productive time for me in terms of thinking and just processing stuff. I, I love doing it early in the morning. 
um, and uh, how week looks like. Drop my kid to school, um, get back to work, go pick him up, and life just flies. Um, Friday's my day off. Uh, my wife doesn't work on Friday. So we'll either, we used to go watch a movie. Uh, they're really cheap. Um, the saver ones, I think they go for like 10 bucks or something. So watch movies. Uh, or just walk around uh, aimlessly, just chatting. <laughs> yeah. Love it. <laughs> yeah. What's, what's work? You mentioned uh, yeah, so, work in passing. What does that look like uh, for you? So I have uh, three roles. Um, two of them sort of um, overlap. Uh, first role is Oldwood Baptist Church. Uh, serve with the minister there, so pastor there. So on Mondays, that's what I'll be focusing on. But I also have a role with the association, um, twofold. One with Jamie under Gen 1K, where I give sort of uh, leadership to church planting coaching but also with our Southern Sydney region where I am the church planting facilitator. So uh, that my week, my week is pretty different. Uh, my, what I love about what I do is it's relationship based. So I'm out there meeting people, having coffee, um, just chatting with people. And I love that. Yeah. All right. That's awesome. You uh, have spent some time at Nairobi Chapel, yeah. you've been a church planter. Can you uh, tell us a little bit and paint a bit of a picture of Nairobi Chapel and what you learned there and what's what God is doing uh, there at the moment? Uh, so uh, I joined Nairobi Chapel as a youth pastor in 2005. Nairobi Chapel um, is a um, sort of family of churches that started off uh, through a revitalization of a brethren church. Uh, pastor Oscar then, he was, I think, 27 when he was sent to revitalize it. And a uh, number of years later, it uh, became this huge church. And uh, one key significant shift for Nairobi Chapel that has sort of put it on the trajectory that it is right now. In, I think, 2004, Nairobi Chapel had grown to about 4,000, meaning this little small space. And I think they were running seven, eight services in a, in a Sunday. Crazy. Uh, and the option was uh, to buy land and sort of build a bigger property where we could have all the 4,000 people move. Um, and that's what was a normal thing. That's what you normally do. But uh, as you know, Oscar thinks very different. And so he's like, you know what? Um, that's not what we're going to do. I'm like, okay, we are going to multiply the church into five. He says, uh, we've spent years doing leadership development. We've spent years um, preparing pastors. If we go and become this big mega church, <laughs> there'll only be one person preaching uh, everyone, and it would just be different. So they identified five of the key uh, roads that lead into Nairobi and uh, decided we're going to plant a church in each of the main arteries into Nairobi City. And that's when I joined the youth pastor and was sent to the west side of Nairobi. And that began the journey of multiplication. One Sunday, we were all 4,000. The next Sunday, we were five different churches, five different leaders. We got they divide up all the leaders amongst all the churches. Um, I asked to go to the smallest church um, and ended up there. And that began, it put into reality the conversation Oscar had always had that we need to always think about multiplication. And that's become the DNA. So every church of Nairobi Chapel, especially in the early days, uh, this is from 2000 to about 2012, 2013, every church that was planted has planted another church, if not three or four because that became the way we do church. So that's Nairobi Chapel. Wow, that's awesome. So what was the story of you uh, going from that context to coming over and doing the work you're doing in Australia now? So in 2014, I was due for sabbatical and uh, was planning to go to uh, the US uh, for a year. 
but I had a good friend of mine here who had come to Kenya. I'd come here out in Glenmore Park, Anglican Church, uh, and they said, hey, you know you're going on sabbatical. Would you consider coming to Sydney for, for a year and help us serve and think through church planting and mission? I was like, yeah, I, I could do that. Uh, and so we ended up in Sydney, um, out in the West. And uh, that was, when I look back, you actually now to see, start to see God at work. At that, in that particular moment, it looked like I'm stepping into a space. I'll be able to help out where I can, uh, work maybe two, three days a week, get time to rest. But as I started interacting with Baptist pastors, being Baptist back home, I just drifted towards visiting Baptist churches. And man, I was so shocked. So coming from a chapel background where we're just churning out leaders, churches thriving and growing, um, and came to a place where I was like, whoa, this is not normal. I was in churches with 10, 15 people. Uh, I was like, whoa, what is happening? And something in that space just really grew sort of captured me like, oh, wow. I felt a sense of, is the word grief? Maybe grief would be the word. Like, oh, wow. And towards the end of the year, a lot of guys were like, hey, why don't you say help us out? I was like, I don't feel that. And I was really happy with the church I was leading. I really loved it. Uh, we are actually just like growing and, 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 and thriving. And I really loved it. But honestly, guys, as I sat there, I remember saying to myself, would I just go back home and say, that was good and just forget about it? Something captured me in that moment, and I said, Lord, if it's your will, I'd love to be part of what you're doing here. And um, lo and behold, went back and um, shared this with my leadership, and they said, we'll pray about it. They prayed about it, and they said, yeah, if God opens the door, we'd love it to be back. And uh, God did, and so I'm here. So that, that's how I ended up here. Wow, and we're glad you're here because uh, you have contributed so much to our movement and continue to, to do that. I'm really interested in um, your perspective, you know, coming with, you know, fresh eyes to Sydney and the culture here and the Australian kind of church context. What do you see in terms of both opportunities that, you know, of where God's at work here and some of the challenges that you think are maybe unique to what is happening right here in the Australian sort of church context? Well, there's some things that are really clear some I'm, I'm learning and still in the process of understanding but in my first year here what really struck me was the for my experience that just the lack of clarity around leadership development that was like because I lived in a context that was no, so normal it became like wow I, I mean just getting churches that have clear plans of this is how we develop leaders, this is the vision for it, this is the process for it. I, I didn't find that uh, in my context. I'm sure there are churches that do that, but that stuck me as, okay. Uh, and, and that then spoke into the need that I saw where a lot of churches, um, because of that, there was no clear sort of succession planning. Where What's next? So a lot of young leaders um, who would come up would either, maybe from my conversation with them, be an associate pastor for... 15, 20 years, and then become the senior pastor, be there for another 15, 20 years. And that cycle, there's the sense of uh, adventure and seeking to take up new ground wasn't there. That's what I found. Uh, and that was like, okay. But the other thing on the other side, something that was very different for my context, is that in a first world um, space, governments plan well. They do. They plan really well. 
And you can sort of mostly rely on those plans. Now, that's something we don't have back in Kenya. Uh, the government is awesome, uh, but planning is one of those things that they're still working on. But Australia is far ahead. So I, was, I sat down with a friend of mine and told them, you realize you could align the mission of God with because you have clarity of plans that you can actually plan that there's going to be a, a construction of maybe 50,000 houses in this place in the next 10 years. You can actually plan on it. You can actually strategize around it. Uh, and that's a great opportunity that's there that um, maybe in, in the context you don't see it, uh, but you can actually sort of chart a path for church growth uh, and multiplication because the planning is done done so well. Um, yeah, so th- those are the two things that stood out for me, the whole issue of leadership um, and just the fact that there's a huge bonus of these actual plans. <laughs> yeah. So having been in environments where leadership development is just, in the culture, it's just normative. That's what you were like living and breathing in and coming over and feeling like, whoa, that's not there. Um, are there sort of some simple, almost like low-hanging fruit things that people can start to do to change that culture? Or what would be some of the first steps in your mind for helping churches to begin to do that if it hasn't been part of their DNA? Well, one of the things that, I, that became clear as I sort of asked different pastors, why don't you do this? Uh, there's an assumption that uh, size plays part of it, that, you know, we're going to wait, become a bigger church and start doing it. Uh, but the church that I took over, Earlwood, uh, which was a revitalization, from the get-go, the day I landed there in March of uh, 2018, we landed with two interns. And I said, it's not about size. It's about creating the culture um, that becomes part and parcel of who you are. Um, so the first thing I would say in, in answer to that is, there are people around. There's, it's been hard. People, there's a sense in which, oh, people don't want to do this. People, there's so many young people out there who just want to be part of something big, something uh, bigger than them. They, 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 they're craving some form of mentorship and, and direction. Um, and internship and leadership is not free labor. If, if it's not intentional, um, it can really destroy people. If that's their first experience of they do the photocopy and grab lunch, and that's, just, that's not it. But some of the things that exist is we have um, things like the you know, schemes within the government that uh, pay for things like apprenticeship. It's not a foreign concept in this culture. When people apprentice, a lot of people I've talked to, whether it's plumbers, electricians, all this, they've done a, It's something that's known. How do we take that and redeem it and give it a kingdom focus? So what we started doing at Earlwood, we ran our first residency this year uh, with, with, with Emma. And basically it was, hey, why don't you spend a year with us and um, just watch, learn, see how church is done, you know, grow your skills. And the plan is at the end of the year, by God's grace, launch you out to be part of another church plant uh, or, you know, as God leads to plant a church, you know, we'll support you. So the thing is the system exists. The concept is not foreign. Uh, it's just that, just taking that step to actually start calling people uh, into a vision that's bigger. And just being bold enough to call people into it and not fearing that, oh, you don't have all the answers, man. You just, you've got to, sometimes you've got to just do it. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's great. And um, I think we're, we're scared sometimes of that, right? Yeah. I, don't, I don't know what it is about, I don't know if it's, it's a cultural thing or if it's just, you know, something that we've, we've learned from the systems that we've grown up in with church. But um, to actually call people to sacrifice, to call people to get real skin in the game 
actually yeah. is is a can be a scary thing. Yeah. How how have you gone about having those conversations, identifying those sort of people? Um, do you have any tips or ideas around how someone, a, a church planter, a pastor who's, you know, in a local church, in a neighborhood, yeah. what, what should they be looking for? The reality is uh, that people are all over around you. The first place um, a sort of harvest is just the people who are within your context, who love God, they're in your church, they're doing stuff already. Uh, but you can you can sort of tell the level of engagement and passion is it's just not the average church attendant. It's just they're really there. Uh, and for example, in our church, um, there's an awesome lady who loves serving, gifted administratively, but works three days a week. And I had a conversation. I said, "Would you consider serving as um, in church for one day a week, um, when rather than being at home and just come and see how church works and all that?" Uh, and she's like, "Okay, I'll try it." And six, seven months in, she's like, I love this. I really love this. Because when people connect with their destiny in God, there's a, there's a new fire that's sort of birthed in them. And so um, just that sense of not being scared and just starting with those closest to you, you'll be shocked that once you bring clarity of vision and intentionality and a call to something that's bigger, people in your pulpit will step out. That's the first place I look for people, right around me. I know them. We have relationships. Uh, I'm not vetting. Or All that's been done. So that's where I look for. Uh, the second place I go to is just I cast the net wide. I, I find out other churches that are sort of leaking of leaders um, and they don't know what to do with them. I talk to the pastors and say, hey, you have awesome guys. Would you want them to spend a, a year with me and we'll send them back to you? You've got to deal with the ministers who are confident enough and secure enough that uh, there is a chance that they may come, love it, get a new vision and passion and pursue something different. So look for churches around you that are leaking leaders and they're there. They're pastors who have amazing people in their young adults and their youth and they unfortunately don't have a picture, a vision for them. So you could bring that um, clarity. And thirdly, I just pray and God brings people. We have conversation with people. You sort of see a little fire in it, uh, in the conversation and you're like, you start to fan it slowly. That takes time. Um, but at one point, such people complain, you know what, do you want to take a step of faith and just serve this year and see if it's something you really are passionate about? And they'll be like, yeah. That's great. In, in a practical sense, what, what are you actually doing with those interns or residents? I, I loved, you hinted before that leadership development is not about, it's not about filling a role, but it's about building people. It's about yeah. the people. Yeah. Um, and so what are you doing with them in that time that you have with them to practically build them and, and develop yeah. them as leaders? Well, picking up from what I was doing back in Nairobi, um, so to give you an example, um, the staff I was leading, the church I was leading, every one of them, except two people out of the 26, everyone came through internship. And the what you do with them depends on how, what, how they come in and what they come in for, where they're at in their journey with God. So the first group of people we get are people who are just want to explore what it means to serve God. Um, and for those conversations, the year is structured around discernment and uh, just building basic ministry skills and, and, and basically learning to lead yourself. Um, they'll do hosting services. They might speak on a Sunday once, um, but mostly they're getting exposed to different ministries. So they'll spend time in kids' church and, and all these things. They're just helping them discover. 
The second group are people who know their call to ministry but are not sure what area they're called into. And, and theirs is a bit more intentional where you're spending time with them, um, moving beyond this discernment to discovery. What are my gifts? What is it I'm passionate about? Uh, what do I see myself? Do I, do I see I can give my life to? Uh, with them, we do a lot of um, ministry exchanges to different churches. Um, they go to you know, missions abroad and all these things and sort of put them in different cultures and contexts. We do a lot of reading. And so in the internship I was running back in Nairobi, um, every Friday morning um, for about two hours, every Friday for the whole year, I would spend two hours with all the interns all together. And that's the time I would sort of hear them, what are they doing? Ours was not really structured, it was more conversation, but the person in charge, in charge of internship would do the readings and all that. But the third group are people who come very clear. They know they're called to serve God and they know to serve God as youth pastor or uh, missions or whatever. And theirs is more formation. How do we actually equip you to do that? And their internship is very different. So on the basic level, everyone will do this sort of some similar reading around leading self and, and all that. But as the year goes, they sort of track down three different ways. And the, the, the latter group I was dealing with, the ones were very clear. And now we would send them to church plant. So they'd serve a year with us and then would send them to a church plant where they would be shadow the church planter or shadow the children's minister because we found if someone can serve in a church plant as a children's pastor or a children's assistant or young adults where things are not formed, there are no processes, it's very stressful. If they are able to be in that part, in that role for six months to nine months and come back and say, I still want to do it, they're like, okay, then let's, let's see what the way forward is for you. So it sounds like to me listening to this conversation, if we like zoom the lens in at the local church level, Leadership development is has got to be a huge part of how we think about the future, particularly if we're thinking about uh, uh, the future church as as healthy, growing, multiplying. If we zoom the lens out and we think about individual churches, what do you think needs to change in the way that churches relate to each other, work together, see each other, particularly thinking through obviously the, the kind of role that you have on things like networks and things yeah. like that. What do you think needs to change at that church-to-church level rather than within one church? Well... In, in southern Sydney, we form networks. And it's just been phenomenal to see the shift that has come. Three shifts have happened. The first shift is an alignment to the bigger vision. Because every church, was, every church is pursuing the vision God has given them for their neighborhood. But the first shift, an alignment to the bigger vision. That was really key for us. The second shift that has, I've seen come is an alignment to relationships that are actually intentional. Because... We have pastors meeting, but yeah, hey, how are you doing? How can we pray for you or not? But there's something that happens when relationships are intentional and you start asking bigger questions that are beyond my local church to what is God doing in our neighborhood amongst us. And the third shift that I saw that was very interesting was um, a willingness to risk. Because you're in a group, there is more willingness to actually take a risk. So how does this look for us? My prayer is, uh, we're still in formation of this, but I'm hoping that as we get interns next year, that interns, um, especially uh, the smaller churches, can share an intern. Because you, know, you have a church of 20, uh, a church of 15, a church of 30, you're not going to be able to financially afford to have some. But if you share an intern, um, you could sort of, we could work out how they can actually serve all of you if there's an in already established relationship 
And if there's a clear understanding that this individual is part, their, pro, their journey is part of a bigger story that is for the region, not your local church. So we're not giving you free labor. We're giving you an opportunity to help grow someone who may not even serve in your church after the year. So pulling back out, I see the place of networks as really significant for our movement. I, I think it's the way we need to go. Just having alignment of vision, um, intentional relationships, and the willingness to take risk together as a group. It's safer. If we fail, we all fail together. We win, everyone wins. Uh, but it takes time because every one of us at the end of the day is a local pastor and has the best intention of their church. So still working through that. Yeah, I think that's a, it's a great picture and vision of collaboration on yeah. a um, you know, church-to-church um, scale. And I think like that actually speaks volumes to people that aren't in churches, yeah. to see churches working together. Yeah. I think that's not, it certainly hasn't been a normal story here in Australia. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I get the sense that a lot of people's um, aversion to church is the infighting yeah. and, the, and the politics. And yeah. I think if we can circumvent some of that and to create momentum, and I love those three things, like building in a story together, um, becoming part of the bigger vision, willing to risk. I, I love all that. Um, what advice would you give to someone who, is a church planter or, you know, they're a pastor or a leader in a church. They're not part of a network. They're not meaningfully connected with other churches in their area. What, what would be a next step for them? I think first and foremost is to um, a place of coming to a place of acknowledging that that's not God. That's not the way God designed us to work as a body. Um, and so um, regardless of denomination or whatever, um, there are more things that bring us together than take us apart. Um, and if we really want to see the name of Christ lifted up and to see God's glory uh, you know, manifested throughout our neighborhood, we know that not any one of us can do it on their own. So the next step for me would be join, start with the region. Know what's happening in your region if you're a Baptist church and go beyond that and be part of, a, of an intentional relationship. Now, this gets a bit tricky because I love pastors' gatherings. Um, they're awesome, but... Th- it's got to change how we do that. I mean, I used to that in Nairobi. You gather 10, 15 pastors, did it for a number of years, and you say, how are you going? Pray. And it's, it's good. It's good. But I said, I really, want, I really want our relationship to mean something. And it's just like in any relationship, you want to see fruit that will last. And that only happens when there is, the relationship is intentional and dri- driven towards seeing some form of fruit. So you want to see fruit that is kingdom focused, I really think just plug into a network and know that it comes with the risk of you losing identity as an individual to gain the identity of the kingdom. And that's really hard for some ministers, some pastors. You realize, wait, my name's not the one that's going to be on the board. Just losing that identity and now becoming, having a collective identity. That's where collaboration just makes, that's what makes collaboration great. Uh, the willingness to lose identity to gain a new identity. So that for me be the next step, man. Join a network. And if you're thinking about church planting, man, talk to me. Um, just whether it's an email or a text, that, that's my role. I, I want to have a conversation. Um, there are great opportunities out there. They're, I know there are people out there thinking about church planting. I know there are people out there who God has specifically talked to to step out and plant a church. It can be scary. It can be intimidating. It can be overwhelming. But that's why we're here. 
Uh, we have a clear process um, uh, that allows you to sort of journey at a good pace. Um, it's, you know, with no pressure where you really discover your gifts. And we have amazing men and women around us who can journey with you. So don't journey alone, man. Just contact us. Uh, that's awesome. I mean, uh, Benj and I were part of a newly formed network. You know, we were both at the same church, Narara Valley Baptist Church. Love that church. And uh, Greenhouse, Benj's church is planted out of Narara. And really, I probably wouldn't have um, started uh, Meeting Ground, our little church, if it wasn't for uh, Narara's embracing mm. Mm. of uh, like a mixed, diverse family of churches on mission together. So much of that, I think, comes down to uh, Craig, the senior pastor's heart for kingdom rather than kind of, um, you know, running his own little empire. Yeah. Um, and those leaders are hard yeah. to get. I mean, honestly, I, I think people take it for granted. But getting leaders like Craig and others who are willing to release their best, it's it's hard to get it those is, leaders. It is. It's vulnerable. Yeah. And that, I think it and it costs them. so it much. It costs them yes. so much. Yeah. Yeah. I'm quite excited. You know, for me, it's one of the things that I know that um, – I feel like part of the success of our church plant will be in that relationship with difference and that opportunity to collaborate. We're going to do a monthly uh, leadership lab. We get together, we we talk about what's happening in our context. What are some other things that you've seen networks do that really help to actually go beyond just being a network on, you know, we've, we've signed a piece of paper together or we say that we're a network. Have you seen actual kind of, uh, rhythms or practices that have really helped churches to become more collaborative. Yeah, so I'll I'll, I'll defer back to uh, Southern Sydney, where that's um, on the ground. It's live. It's happening. So I have fresh uh, uh, examples. So um, around the, the Southern Sydney, we try and build a relational rhythm that is predictable, so people can plan around that. And in this, when we say relationship, meaning we are meeting in your network, and in those networks, we just say have intentional conversation. So that's that's the, the conversation but also we've challenged people to think about what do you bring to the table regardless of size and for example uh, when we did this uh, one of the churches in our network said hey we know people are stressing especially uh, smaller churches with equipment all that we have a full recording kit we can use so any pastor who wants to record just come to our church let us know we'll record we'll edit we'll give it to you and you can put it up i'm like man that is amazing Uh, we have churches networks saying we want to work together and uh, we're going to, we have four churches not too far from each other. Let's do our youth groups together. So Elwood doesn't run a youth group. Our kids go to uh, Clempton Park Baptist Church. Like they're like five minutes down the road. Why do we want to run something again? So that comes out of relationship and trust. Um, and so sharing of resources, uh, building relationships. Um, the other thing is just what we call reproducing. We have to think multiplication. that conversation needs to be embedded. And I always ask this question in our network. So we have networks, we have network leaders, uh, we have, I think, nine network leaders. And so when we meet with the network leaders, the question we're asking around, how are you having the conversation around sharing resources, uh, being reproducing at every level in your church? Um, What what other roadblocks do you have? How can we come in and help? And so keeping that conversation alive is what's been happening in our region. And there is definitely a clear shift in Southern Sydney about what's happening. I feel that, I just I feel like we're just about to hit that peak and just, yeah, see a, a lot of growth. Oh, that's awesome. It's so cool to hear stories like that of churches just selflessly, selflessly 
generously sharing, yeah. learning from one another, collaborating together around youth ministry yeah. or whatever it is, sharing different resources. And I think that, yeah, there's there's such a future in that. And I, I, I am incredibly hopeful when I hear stories like that yeah. um, of what we can accomplish together and that, uh, you know, we are part of a much bigger kingdom vision than what we can do on our own. Definitely, yeah. Just to finish off, we would love to uh, hit you with some rapid-fire questions, if okay. that's okay. Yeah, go for it. Are you ready? Is this uh, just one word or one sentence? Okay. All right. Number one, what do you think is the biggest danger to the church's future in Australia? A lack of leadership development. Uh, what is giving you hope about the future of the church right now? The amazing young people I'm seeing stepping up. What's influencing you right now in terms of uh, people or podcasts or books? What are, you, what are you drawing from? Right now, I've just been listening to Masters of Scale. Uh, and uh, it, it's, it's not a question, it's a business world, but it's been amazing in how you can take that which is little and scale it up. So it, Masters of Scale has been... Is, is that a podcast? Yeah, it's a podcast. Great. Yeah, yeah that sounds good. Going to check that out. If you could have one book, just an infinite supply of this one book that you could give to anybody you met ever, what yeah. would be that one book? <sighs> one book. Oh, wow. I, I cannot say the Bible, can I? No. <laughs> no. no. <laughs> All right. One book. We like the Bible. But uh, it's, yeah. uh, we, you know, that's 66 books. So you can oh, give, okay. them, that's, you that's can give whole, them one book from the Bible. If that you is want. a whole <laughs> library of books. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Um, I think one book that has been significant uh, for me is, I can't say two, but I'll say one. Uh, Hero Maker. That's by Dave Ferguson. It captures what I really feel the church in Australia needs, uh, a clear and intentional way of of reproducing leaders. So that's 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 the one book I'm reading and, and I love it. I'd give that to everyone. That's great. Very good. All right, just to finish, um, what would you say, what would you leave uh, with those who are thinking about church planting thinking about starting something, maybe they're in an established church and they want to start something new, they want to start a network, they want to step into whatever God's calling them to next, what would be the thing that you would leave them with today? First thing is I'd say, you know, get in touch with us. That's, that's, that's really key. Um, but second, I just, just really just step out. It's until you actually do it, it's overwhelming if you can leave um, room in the process for God to just work in his sovereign power, God is always faithful. He has never failed. I mean, I've been through some tough seasons. I've, had, I've planted a church that failed miserably. Uh, and I went through a season of self-doubt. and like. But in then, even in that lowest of lowest, our God has always been faithful. And if you hold on to that truth, it gives you the courage to step out. So I'd say step out. And just know God has your back. Awesome. Thank you so much, Ken. We really appreciate you sharing your, your wisdom, your stories, your experiences, and love just hearing some of your um, learning across different cultural contexts and how we can apply some of what you experienced in uh, Nairobi Chapel to a different context here, but thinking about how we can develop leaders and shift into that network thinking is really inspiring stuff. So thanks. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Hey, this podcast is sponsored by Baptist Financial Services. Find out more, visit bfs.org.au. We hope you are enjoying the Forming Church podcast. 
as fun as it is to listen to our voices, they are not the only ones that matter. Add your voice to the conversation by joining the Forming Church Facebook group or connecting with us on Instagram at Forming Church. What do the ideas in this episode's interview look like in diverse contexts? That's what Jamie, Ken and Pip are going to explore right now. Welcome, Pip, Ken. Thanks, Jamie. Hey, Jamie. It's great. Pip, today we get to have round two interview with Ken and just clarify a few things with him just in case he missed out on anything. But in this interview, we heard Benj and Will chat with Ken Kamau, our very own Ken Kamau, about collaboration around church planting, multiplication and networks. And the point of these roundtable conversations is to practice learning from people with diverse and at times divergent opinions. So you might have a different perspective to Ken, Pip or myself, Benj, Will, but how can we create healthy debate and move beyond the echo chamber? So Pip, what stood out to you? Yeah, there was a number of things that stood out to me. Um, I particularly appreciated the comment that Ken made that we don't wait till our church is a certain size before developing leaders. Um, and whatever size our church is, developing leaders is part of that DNA of multiplication that we want to see in our churches. So that was something that I thought was, yeah, really helpful. I can remember at our first anniversary um, of planting a church, we'd grown and um, I, I remember saying the vision for the next period of time is that we're going to plant another church and everyone just looked at me like I was a fool and, uh, and I, I read all of the books, I'd heard all of the things about uh, building this DNA uh, in from the very, very beginning, but it was just such a foreign concept to people. They're like, hey, we yeah, haven't right. finished planting this one yet yeah. um, and we're small, so what does it even look like to get our heads in that game? And, and I, I just wasn't expecting that uh, and found okay. that quite uh yeah confronting and and have had to work through what that looked like in the years to come yeah so was that a, ma- a matter of um speaking it out was it was it was it too early to speak it out when you reflect on it now it was it that people just needed to say what are the next couple of steps jamie in terms of that that leadership process was it overwhelming for people or yeah what do you take from that experience I think it was just still overwhelming for people. I yeah. think they were still working out uh, relationships uh, with each other and what it looked like to be on mission in DY uh, and with the new people who were coming to faith and what that looked like. Mm. And so I just I, I think that I, I probably hadn't done the work beforehand to ready them for that, even though I had done the work myself and was in that yeah. place. And so perhaps the key leaders were on board with that idea, yeah. uh, but the church, the broader church community might not have been up to speed on that. Mm. But I think sometimes it's good to look at it from the person sitting in the pews that for them, when they joined this church plant to be in DY, that was the journey for them. Mm. So they sort of, we're here with you, Jamie, we're journeying with you, we're, we're now in DY, we, we're getting shape and form and rhythm. My journey has ended, my adventure has ended, so to speak. And then you announce another adventure, guys are like, wait. This was the adventure. So what are you talking about? So it's always sometimes good to look at it from that perspective. Yeah. So what is the destination? Yeah. 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 Is this church plant the destination? Yeah. Or are we planting church that plants churches? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That's cool. Yeah. And that's why it's good to sort of start with that conversation way before. Um, And and it's for those that are thinking about church planting now and listening to these conversations, uh, they have the advantage that you and I didn't have. Um, where they can start that conversation right from the beginning. So they won't have that reaction when they say that. Mm. One of the things that I found really helpful, Ken, in listening to your interview was this multi-pronged approach to residencies Mm. and thinking that actually there'll be people who are um, uh, interning or being a resident 
for different purposes. Some mm. will be here for discernment. They don't know what the future looks yeah. like. Some will be here to discover their particular gifts and some will be there to get direction and formation in those gifts in order to be sent out uh, to start something new. Uh, I wondered if you could elaborate a bit on that for us and and just share a bit about uh, how how you personally did. Was that something you, you came up with? Is that something that was modelled to you? Where did that come from? Mm. Yeah, um, it was something that, was modeled to to me, and uh, so when when we started first, as I mentioned, if you start with with um, leadership development at the core and part of what you're doing, mm-hmm. you naturally start to look for people. Mm-hmm. It become and you're looking for people not for the immediate need because you've addressed that, but for the future need. Mm. So when you open that door, you you have to open the door knowing that people will come at different stages of where they are yeah. and what they need. You may be at a different stage. You may be at a sending stage. You may be at a formation stage. You may be at a system and process developing stage. But people come in. At, they don't come in neat at the stage you're at. Yeah. So what was modeled to us was that it is okay to come in at the stage you're in. Yeah. It is okay. Yeah. It is okay. Uh, to come in uh, when you don't have the answers and you're looking for those answers. And it's okay to know at the end of your internship, the answer may be no. It is okay. Because before that, internship around the chapel was driven around people who had clarity of call. And so it closed out a whole wide range of amazing leaders who did not have that clarity. So when they see somebody stand on stage and say, I've joined the internship and I'm very clear in two years uh, I'm going to plant a church or in I'm going to be the children's pastor. They're like, I, I'm not that clear, so maybe I'll wait. Yeah. But they wait in a vacuum. Yeah. So how do you intentionally shepherd them towards clarity? And that's why the first stage for us was the biggest intake. Mm. It was just people who were just seeking to discern. Yeah. Mm. And that became our biggest harvest field. We pushed that out of, if you took 100%, we pushed maybe 60, 70% towards those people. Okay. That was really because that represented a huge part of our congregation. Yeah. People just asking questions. And that's yeah. a few steps earlier than where most churches start, don't they? Yeah. It's mm. about people who might be interested in exploring ministry. So the discovery stage. Yeah. Um, and that like we start our, our leadership development pathway with Bible college in mind. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas I feel like that's just a little bit earlier and opens up the the funnel. Yeah. Um, and But also is really powerful, I'd imagine, for those people who've gone through that experience that if they don't end up um, – as a pastor in a church, that they have this awareness of what it looks like uh, behind the scenes, yeah. what it looks like to think through how do we make disciples, how do we develop leaders, how do we engage our neighbourhood, and then apply that in their work setting or yeah. to apply that in their family context or yeah. to apply that in their community roles. Yeah. Mm. yeah. So, I mean, for us it was – so every September would be our month where would sort of – people knew September is when we would reach out for interns. And it was just amazing to sit on the – to look at the people who have applied for internship in that space, you'd have people who are CEOs who are taking a sabbatical and you'd have people, kids right out of college mm. and just as all of them in that space of trying to discover what is, what is God calling me to. Yeah. And that is the church. That represents a church. Mm. Yeah. Um, it also secondly addre- addressed the issue of we had a lot of, we realized when we started asking very clear questions of who's ready to go out, we had a lot more men um, step up. Okay. But we realized when we opened it wider, one had more women willing to s- 
step into that space and a lot more mums mm. that was a shocker for us so it, the pool was so wide that it allowed everyone regardless of where they're coming from uh to say i think i can i can try this out uh so i remember one one year uh, where it was one of our most in- interesting internship year i think we had about 13 interns and in that in, in that internship group we had uh, a former legal secretary of coke for i think the east africa or something <laughs> and we had a guy who had come off the streets received christ and was seeking to go back to start a church in one of our low income areas mm. in mm. our internship group Mm. What a formational that, experience. That is God at mm. work. Mm. Mm. So, so that's the first uh, step. The second one is becomes about more clear when people are like, yeah, I know I'm called and um that would be about maybe a 20% of the people would reach out to would would push this but uh, because a lot of those people are self um driven so they, yep. they come to us yep. uh, and they even come out outside the the September intake. They'll just come, "Hey, I really feel passionate about youth ministry." And so those groups the smallest percent where we had people coming was like people who were very clear mm-hmm. and these were people who most likely that come from other churches had had ministry experience uh, and they were the harder work cuz there was a lot of unlearning mm. so their track that's why I was leading that track cuz it was a lot of uh, helping people unlearn and recast vision and expectation mm. uh, and so a lot of them came with very formed ideas so the first group the bigger group was our congregation and that's where we desired a lot more the second group a bit smaller self identifying the third group very clear so and there was a reason why we took a bigger uh, portion of the first mm. pip if you could ask ken a follow up question which you can right now uh, what would you mm. ask him all right um yeah well i was going to ask a bit more about the um internship stuff but i think we've covered that really well and i appreciate the uh your your comments um on that um Just wondering out loud, um you said that, that there were some things that that frankly shocked you when you came to Australia and you observed the churches in in particular um our lack of uh leadership development in the churches. Yeah. And I just wonder if there was anything else that um you know perhaps grieved you but in a way that's led to some some positive action. Oh, yeah, it's still around that whole leadership. Uh, so what happened when I discovered that when I, now I've been here been sort of had a few more conversations with people and i think i have a bit more clarity and what has what continues to grieve me is that ex- when i talk to people about internship and residency is the experience they've had mm-hmm. most people are like yeah i went for an internship but i was just part of the team i was doing photocopies i was you know i help out on the friday youth group uh and sometimes i'm going on a mission to western australia and that's it mm. and i'm like what did that do for you and your your clarifying of the call like i just felt like i don't feel any clarity and and so that for me is still like that we need to bring some form of intentionality yep. to why we call people because it's yep. it's a it's a it's a great honor and privilege for somebody to come and say help me in this journey of discovery and mm. you don't want to waste that mm. yeah. that's great Another thing that I'd like to push into was you you spoke a bit about collaboration and networks and uh how powerful they are and how they work. What do you think are the biggest blockages to that working? Where have you seen it derailed and and what were some of the learnings from that space? I think for me the biggest blockage has been um the f- fear to let go of a personal vision. 
if that makes sense. I, I'm a local minister. I have a passion for the area I'm in. Mm-hmm. I have a clarity of what I want to see happen. And it's not bad. It's good. But when you're called into a bigger space, your voice diminishes. And the voice, a more kingdom voice sort of becomes louder, is amplified. It doesn't negate the, the vision you have, but it just becomes part of a bigger voice, sort of. Uh, and I've, the fear, what I've seen is a lot of pastors come into the networks, but as they realize their voice is getting diminished, they pull back. Um, and how do you help people say, you know, it's okay, I have a vision for the local church I'm leading, and that vision can be, that voice can be part of this bigger voice for the kingdom. Um, so that's that's been, uh, uh, yeah, a, a bit sad, honestly. Um, it, it has been a bit sad just to see people pull back. Mm. Yeah. A leader once said to me, that great things can happen in the kingdom of God if people don't care who gets the credit. Yeah. And I found that really, really helpful just thinking about when we're playing in the area of collaboration and kingdom, uh, that actually doesn't matter who gets the credit because yeah. ultimately we want to be here to lift Jesus up yeah. and mm. to see him glorified and him get the credit. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So that's been all the things, yeah. If you were to suggest a concrete action or next step uh, in this area, Ken, maybe starting with you because uh, you were the one interviewed and you can yeah. bring some great wisdom, uh, what would you be uh, suggesting for people? I think for every church out there, every church leader, you've got to have a very clear leadership plan for your church. You, you've got to think through it um, and it, ha- it has to be intentional and you have to be willing to cast the net wide. Mm. Um, and you have to be, yeah, just like I said, every leader knows the people you're looking for are right there around you, regardless mm. of size. Whether you have a church of 5,000 or 10, 12 people in a house church, the people you're looking for are right there. Yeah. Just bring clarity to what, um, just, yeah, speak into that space. So develop or source a clear leadership yeah. pathway. Yeah. And, yeah. Work, and if you don't have the capacity to do that, collaborate with others that do. Mm. and find out other churches that run good internships. Um, and we're seeking to do this in Southern Sydney where, I mean, five churches come together and say, let's do a clear, let's do an internship program for the five churches. Have three interns and we'll help you manage that. Mm. Work with other people, but you need to have it. Mm. That's good. Yeah, I was thinking about that as well. Um, how can we network, uh, particularly if we're not the senior pastor of a church? Uh, it's it's sometimes we we um, we think that that's the appropriate level for for networking, but um, for sure, when I was um, uh, a youth pastor twenty years ago, uh, it was such a blessing to me to be a part of a, a network of youth pastors from different denominations: Baptists, Pentecostals, Presbyterians, Anglicans, uh, coming together in our area to support each other, pray for one another, bring our youth groups together once a term. Um, and it just facilitated some really, really good ministry mm. and was so worth me keeping and protecting that time to be part of that network. So I think what, whatever particular roles we're in, is there a network of like-minded people, uh, perhaps in your area, perhaps across denominations or church flavours that might help? Yeah. Imagine the vision that you gave and, and those other youth pastors gave those young people what the kingdom of God looks like. Yeah. Uh, did you experience any pushback in that area? 
Yeah, we did. I mean, uh, particularly just after Christmas when uh, we'd close our evening service for two or three weeks every year and we'd say to the the young people, uh, go visit another church. Uh, Go visit and then come back and let us know how did God speak to you, how were you blessed, how were you encouraged by joining in that other church. And yeah, there was some pushback. Um, some other people in church said to me, what if these people will go to the other church and don't come back again? Uh, it was perceived to be a risk, but so much more beneficial for the kingdom of God, for people to be able to join together, worship together, and develop that in, um, habit of looking for the good and the best to be able to bless in what's happening in the church mm, down the that's road. That's so good. And it- young people gravitate towards that as well. So I think it's such a helpful learning for the rest of the church to see how young people um, can, you know, network and move beyond their tribe and and the excitement that's generated by that. And I do wonder what that looks like when it spills over into the entire church yeah. and, and we do see uh, the kingdom of God breaking out across neighbourhoods and communities. It's great. Well, thanks, guys, and thanks for listening. Remember to join the conversation at the Forming Church Podcast Facebook group and follow us on Instagram. Wow, I really like that guy. Lovely guy. Easy to listen to. Easy on the ears. He's, he's great on the ears, I tell you what. What, uh, what stood out to you from that conversation? Uh, there were a number of things. One of the things I think that really stood out for me was um, I love when he was talking about churches collaborating and uh, the, the attitude of like sharing, um, hey, we've got equipment. Not everyone needs to have equipment. Or we run a great youth ministry. There's another church five, down, five minutes down the road. Why don't we just share that? Uh, I think that is a beautiful picture of collaboration that we don't all need to reinvent every wheel, um, but that we can be distinct communities sharing, collaborating and role modeling what that that looks like in the neighborhood. Yeah, that's good. I think the big takeaway for me um, is something that uh, I've wanted to do for a while is to create uh, internships or apprenticeships, particularly around church planting. And I think in our network, uh, having a few different types of churches we can actually use that to our mm. advantage where people get to experience different styles and types of churches, uh, which would be, I think, really valuable as a church planner. So yeah. I would love to explore that more. Yeah, I love that as well. That's it's kind of a hybrid of the two ideas because it's the leadership development in the context of a network where all of those churches share uh, what it means to bring that internship to life. And a lot of the things that maybe we don't start, we don't start them because we don't feel like our church has capacity right now. But if we were starting an internship program with a couple of churches together, that could really help get that thing off the ground and the, the fruit of that would be amazing. Yes, very good. What stood out to you? What's your next step? Uh, we want to know. You can engage with us on Instagram at Forming Church. You can join our Facebook uh, community group, Facebook, uh, the Forming Church Forming Podcast. Forming Church Podcast and uh just, just join the conversation. Say hi. Write some things. We, we want to create an incredible discussion, a community around shared ideas and collaboration. And Ken, he said, you know, he said, get in touch. So if the ideas in this particular episode stood out, hit us up with a message or, or Ken. Uh, I'm sure Ken's in the Facebook group. Oh, he, so drop a comment is, in there. He is in that Facebook group, I'll tell you what. Awesome. Well, give us a rating and review. Share this with people that need to hear it and have a wonderful day, afternoon, evening, morning, whatever it is, wherever you are.